episode number six of knockout ginger with curtis noasad and joel vicentine it took me forever to edit the audio is not good i had to cut out all the funny parts curtis just put out a new record there's going to be links in all the places email me at knockoutginger at gmail.com shout out mark godfrey f all the haters Yeah, fuck. Like, so I, so I was teaching a, I was teaching a, can we curse, by the way? Yeah. Oh, good. The more, the more, the better. Good. I made sure I checked the uh, explicit box on oh, that my was a distribution. Good fucking decision. I'm just telling you. Platform, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I will, I will abstain from cursing out of respect for our listeners. Hey, Joel. Fuck you. <laughs> See, um, the thing about our listeners is that they're weak. <laughs> oh, they're weak fucking little babies, are they? They're little shits who can't handle a little fucking cursing every now and then? Jesus. Joel, I thought you were abstaining out of respect. <laughs> I was just told not to respect them. Oh, okay. Good. Um, no, so I was, so Joel and I were talking about it, how like the, uh, um, so I was teaching, um, I teach, I was teaching like a, you know, 17 year old drum student and um, she's going to U- Next year, so for what the is, uh, what? Uh, university, so they have like a jazz program and a pop program. So two of my students are going there, one for the jazz program, one for the pop program. And the pop program is is run by Patrice Russian. So the um, and she really loves Patrice and everything. And so you know, so I put on like forgive me nots, um, and then uh, then I was like, but it's funny because I got introduced to that song because it was. It was they adapted it to uh, the theme from Men in Black, so that came out like when we were kids. And same thing, Wild Wild West, which apparently, what movie did Will Smith turn down to do Wild Wild West? Uh, he turned down Neo in the Matrix. Oh yeah, Will Smith turned down Neo in the Matrix. Neo, like Neo was going to be black and Morpheus was going to be white because yeah. they wanted Will Smith for Neo. Yeah, and then like they settled for Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne and like switched it. Yeah. I uh Secret Time. Never seen that film. Interesting. I haven't seen it since it came out. I never saw the other two. <clears throat> if you're older than seventeen, it's not really gonna blow your mind. But yeah. if you were fourteen and like you never encountered any of those philosophical concepts that have been around since like Plato, I mean it was kind yeah. of a mind fuck. Well yeah, I mean because that one, that whole one is like allegory of the cave, right? It's like basically allegory. just like the cave allegory with sweet kung fu and yeah. slow bullets and stuff yeah right so the uh many movies i remember reading like a crack.com back when crack.com didn't suck um they had a list that it was like five philosophical concepts that almost every movie are based on and it's like the like allegory of the cave the prisoner's dilemma i should have read it closer because i can't remember the rest of them yeah but yeah the uh yeah there's a bunch of them. So Allegory of the Cave is like any anything where you where there's like some world that you didn't know about. Right. You know? So like It's like how like you you accept your reality and like work within it whether or not it's real. Yeah. Or like so w- without you ever having the ability to know that it's real. So the Matrix, Star Wars, Harry Potter, all the shit is all like Haven't seen any of these. That's fine. That's fine. That's uh that's a little weird, but okay. Yeah. Not a not a great uh that's fine no that's there's there's nothing worse than people who are like you've never seen the like yeah yeah yeah. it's like there are literally a million movies like Like, i've never seen indiana jones leave me alone you know i've never seen indiana jones either yeah uh i I mean i've seen parts of them but i've never actually seen yeah i haven't seen that either i've i've seen ballpark seven movies (laughs) is one of them a christmas story Nope. Okay, no. Can we that, can we hear was, which movies you've seen? Because that's such a small sample size. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a that was definitely a, an underestimate, understatement. But uh, so all of the Batman things ever. Okay, uh, that's like seven movies so, right there. Yeah. So your favorites being which, like the Christopher Nolan Batman's, or like the the Tim Burton Batman, or like the. It's tough, but probably like, probably the Christopher Nolan ones. Yeah, they're pretty solid. I yeah, mean, they're great. The third one's got there's some problems with the third one, but yeah, I mean the third one's whatever. But like, 
Heath Ledger in the second one, obviously, is which is the third one, genius. the, the final Knight. one, like the one with Bane and and right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bane yeah. was a little like whatever. I mean, the I the the like really bad one is that George Clooney one. Oh yeah, that one with yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze. Ice is, to see you <laughs> <laughs> up and at them. So there's a I I found this out like once when I was on a YouTube rabbit hole. But if you watch the the director's commentary of that movie, Batman and Robin, by the end of the movie, the director apologizes for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 throughout it, he's going like he's like you know the script there were script problems from day one and like you know he's like kind of like passing the buck and like by yeah. the end. He's just like, you know, like I directed it. Like I have to, I have to take responsibility <laughs> for what this was. Like, <laughs> it's is that, is that the one with uh, Jim Carrey is the Riddler as well? No, or that's the other that's one. That's the Val Kilmer. That's the Val Kilmer. Bat, one. That's yeah, Batman, yeah. Uh, Batman forever. Batman forever. Uh, right. It's got, and Tommy Lee Jones is two face. Yeah. Yes. That was a good yeah, one. Yeah. That one was a good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but also like, again, it was so long ago to me. They're all good. Yeah. Right. 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 That's fair. Um, it's like it's probably bad. Like if we watched it yeah. today, we'd be like, "Oh, it's Ice very to bad." See you. <laughs> Ice but, to see you. But that just like makes it even funnier because 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 like I'm pretty sure the Fallout Boy episode of of The Simpsons was before that, right? So like with Ray, your Wolf Castle, and they're like up and at him. Oh, I'm up totally. That's them. totally just a Simpsons quote that I yeah, think yeah. that I yeah, think yeah, is yeah. from that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, but there is but some they, like. There is some bad pun with freeze or something like I can't remember what it is. Uh, write into the podcast if you remember. <laughs> yeah, email, email me at knockoutginger at gmail dot com. No, 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 we're not doing email. We're doing snail mail only. Were you guys playing music when you went to school together, like way back in the day, or was that like a, a later? No, no, we were like, like we wouldn't have been friends if we weren't into music. Like we were kind of like. We went to the same high school that like had a band program, and we definitely like were like kids who hung out in the band room and like played in rock bands together and shit. Yeah, we had we had two two different rock bands. I actually played organ in one of them. Nice um, Hammond organism. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> so what I was getting at was, were you guys watching The Simpsons in real time as you were? also being musicians together like is this a has, this, has it been like <laughs> yeah. this the whole time i would say the simpsons thing is probably before we were we even knew each other like basically from the age where i could like just go home from school by myself and just get home before my yeah. parents and just be home like whatever age you're allowed to do that like 12 i think i don't know yeah, i always did it I, but uh, like like i would just go home and watch the simpsons yeah every day and my parents wouldn't get home for another hour and a half or so yeah no i uh yeah i didn't have a lot of guidance i mostly just watched the simpsons but yeah it was, it was uh, always it was on a, back was, to back it, it was, was always great, like and also always, it would be on fox rochester yeah. And on CBC at the same time, so then you could choose which episode you wanted to watch. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so if you'd seen the one before, but there was one you hadn't seen, you could switch. And then there yeah. was always one on CTV. Right. Yeah. I, uh... I mean, I'm not going to tell you guys what I used to watch after school. What did you used to watch after uh, Full House. I used to watch Full House as well. But... Everywhere you look, there's people who used to watch Full House. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, Full House is one of those ones that just has zero redeeming qualities in 2019. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you know, I watch like certain shows. Fuller House on Netflix is... Yeah, I heard it was one of the worst things that's ever happened. I disagree. <laughs> really? No, no, no. Yes. It's... it's, it's it's so horrific. Even I, I couldn't like. It's one of those things. Like, how how crazy is it that like Aunt Becky is like looking at my, time? My like, my favorite. Like really looking at so, time. So my sister occasionally sends me like the only memes that like. So Joel and I basically have a steady stream of memes going back and forth all day long every day. Um, but the only memes my sister ever has sent me have been related to Full House and Saved by the Bell because they were both shows we used to watch. And so, uh, so when that happened, um, 
<laughs> she sent me a meme that was a picture of like you know old school uncle jesse and it said like um you know is anyone does anyone else wonder whether uncle jesse is going to show up at the sentencing and beg the judge to have mercy <laughs> <laughs> last thing i read that it said something about her like blaming her husband mm. well yeah i mean i think it was her husband i think that was the the thing what like that was like objectively true I are think. they both in trouble like i'm assuming it's just we only hear about the famous person yeah i assume that's the case but who knows if like only she's going to jail that is like kind of fucked but up. also it's not even remotely interesting so i just i haven't read up on the details i don't know like rich famous people actually going to jail is always yeah, interesting like, to me <laughs> fucking, yeah well no that's true that's true but uh yeah just like like white folks given every single advantage in the book and then still mm-hmm. buying more advantages you know it's like and then like and then like the idea of them actually being punished for that is like shocking yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so yeah the meme thing is funny like i was thinking as you said that about your sister like there's totally people in my life that are like general meme friends where we just send each other memes yeah but then there's other people where it's only very specific like <laughs> Like, my friend Mark Godfrey, we only send each other memes that involve Hulk Hogan. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like Hulk Hogan with an acoustic guitar. Anyway, here's Wonderwall, brother. (laughs) Shout out Mark Godfrey. Yeah. Yeah. He was supposed to be episode one, but something happened and we still haven't. Really? Yeah, it's because he's a flake. Is it because he's an asshole? Fucking asshole. You ask him to do something and the first thing he's trying to figure out is how to be too good to do that thing. Right. You know, and he also doesn't sound. The very thing good. is, is that can't play the bass, but he sure can big time your po- your podcast just to stick it to you. Let's be real; he's too good for most things. Yeah, it's <laughs> too good to be a good friend. <laughs> I feel like there's some baggage attached here. Sorry, Mark. None of this. Uh, you know, I was in Banff with him. When his leg was broken, I really? carried his base every goddamn day. Was it broken by an elk? No, he broke his he broke his leg like right before we were leaving to go to Banff. Remember when and he Dana still got, went like, gored by an elk? Yeah, that was that was crazy. We were in Banff, and my friend Dana, who's an amazing pianist in New York, and the first person I met at Banff that I didn't already know, and he totally got charged by an elk. It was like a thing they warned us about. Like we were there in a time of year where like the moms are calving or something. And so they'll just charge you if you get too close. But he didn't even like, he wasn't like being an idiot or anything. He just literally was walking between two buildings. No, there are elk elk. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I did it a couple years ago and I didn't really see any elk unless we were down in the city. Right. Or the town, whatever. Yeah. Like you did the, the three week workshop thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How'd you enjoy it? Man. I had a good time at Banff. Yeah. Uh, I I found it went in a a sort of a curve. The first week was incredible. The second week was kind of terrible. The third week was incredible. Yeah. The second week was rough for me, remember. I remember, like, something about being out there for three weeks. Like, it just takes a lot of energy. So, I remember, like, just the energy level and morale was pretty low second week yeah because you're not like like, you're not getting more than four or five hours of sleep every night too like i remember getting yeah hitting a real kind of low point of depression in like the in the second week and then because you're also like i mean i don't know if you have these insecurities but for me it was like everyone here is better than me like i should quit like i don't like i don't belong in the upper echelon of music and therefore i shouldn't be a musician at all and then I, you know, and then I just got over it somehow and just was like, us. Oh, but I just like doing this, right? Like, yeah, it was, was rough for us because a lot of people really didn't like each other. Oh, really? It was like, a there was some, it was tough. Like that, they, we they actually kind of had the opposite. Like everyone, like, everyone really liked each other. There were like the little flare ups, but no, it was definitely like a love fest. I had some like totally life changing experiences out there but i also had a lot of like there were moments where i was like i i flew out here 
mm-hmm. for to, to to for this for this shit yeah um uh but just like people being just mean to each other just for like like the vibe was thick it's that's amazing so interesting that's yeah. really that's really super interesting because it because it was so not like that when we were there uh, i mean the, uh, i think there were definitely people who felt like less accepted than other people like i'm sure yeah. there were things like that where people yeah, felt yeah. like they weren't belonging as much as others or whatever but there was no like straight up animosity yeah, yeah. i w- i mean the uh yeah, for me it was like it was totally life changing because I was still in Winnipeg at that point. So like, I hadn't even interacted with that level of like musicians at that point. You know, like here and there, but not like not an actual like big group of people. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn, I want to be surrounded by great music. I mean, that was part of like the reason why I decided to go to school and move to New York and everything. Yeah, but it, it was really funny like being in a environment in Winnipeg where most people like didn't want to be jazz musicians necessarily even if they were in like jazz school they didn't necessarily want to be jazz musicians and i was like damn i need to like be at a school where i'm surrounded by jazz musicians and i went to them and like was surrounded by mm-hmm. you know jazz students all day long and i was like fuck this is terrible as well right like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was like this is also yeah oh, this is also not good yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird. It's just one. one of those like grass is greener situations where I kept thinking that like some other environment is the environment I need, and then I was like, actually, well, yeah, because I'm gonna do either way, you know. It's it's hard when you experience these kind of like artificially heightened experiences because you know you can't like take all of that back to your day to day. Yeah, but like it was a turning point for me too, and that like I was like kind of just at the beginning of like becoming sort of professionalized as right, a musician right, right. and sort of losing that thing of like i'm a jazz musician and i like want to create and want to do things i was just kind of getting to that point where i was like i'm like working and playing gigs to pay my rent and i feel like if i hadn't gone to banff i might just be like a real just kind of jobber guy who doesn't do anything else not that right, i'm not right. still doing that stuff but i feel no, like but like without trying to do your own i feel like banff kind of like kept this thing going in me where it's like you gotta i want to do more than just like play bruno mars songs to yeah, put food yeah. in my fridge you know what i mean yeah did you check out that that dave frischberg song i sent you yes <laughs> that shit is hilarious. It was so good and it, like the piano playing is killing dude. yeah no no it's really yeah. good that's what i mean like it's like a really good song but it's like so you know dave frischberg no. so he's like so he wrote like all these like kind of like campy songs in the 70s but they're like really like musically killing sorry the um, worst answer it an answer the phone <laughs> I don't, who is it Yo, Donnie, what's up? Banff was amazing for me yeah. for that reason, like just being around. I mean, and, and a lot of my first gigs in New York were actually with people I met at Banff. Yeah. A lot of them I don't play with at all anymore or even see. But like when I first got to the city, it was like some people really helped me out. And, yeah, uh, I've definitely had some Banff relationships that have carried on. Yeah, some people I still work life. with. Uh, Sam Newfeld is doing all my video shit for right. my record. So, like, you know, we met at Banff. You know, he was there for trumpet, but yeah. killing, like, photographer good, like, and videographer as well. He's one of those guys that just, like, picks a thing and becomes very good at very it. Very good at it. Right, um, right. Y'all he's cool. That's right. I have, like, a, I have a handful of people that I, that I met in Banff that I will be, like, playing with for the rest of my life. But not a lot of them like right um what i'm so curious about your year that like turned into like fucking lord of the flies you know it was like a lot of a lot of people came in there trying to play like a lot of people came in trying to just jazz their hearts out right so like every night the session like i think they played cherokee at the session at mac lab every night oh that's so funny it was so not the vibe at all like there was almost no one who was trying to do that and when there we was, were there. There was one night where, like, us, like, me and, like, the handful of other people who were, like, into playing improvised music, or, I don't like the words, but... Whatever, but... Yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. More, we, more, like, we more or less know what you mean. You're hanging yeah, out yeah, with yeah. the Scandinavian cats. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, all the Boston cats. Oh, yeah, okay, fair um, enough. But, like, we we got up to, to like, kind of do our thing one night at the session, and then, like, someone else came up and, like picked an instrument up that they didn't play and just like thought it was funny oh, and like, yeah. started playing with That's us. It was like bullshit. a, yeah. it was like a dark sort of thing, but also week one, like 
so something happened and there weren't enough drummers so i was in tyshawn's ensemble week one and he just played with us every day so like amazing they're like the pros and cons are pretty extreme yeah but Right. It's so funny. Are you like Sean is like one of the most amazing musicians that ever watched. So crazy. Yeah. Like our year had like definitely like a contingent of the like whatever you want to call it free type guys. But like it was sort of just like it was really cool. Like I feel like the people who weren't into that thing, like like I definitely by being around those guys, like more like developed a respect for it I didn't previously have and like tried tried that hat on a bit and then like there were just a lot of people sort of writing their own music and it was more like it was more like everyone was just there to do like what they do yeah and i definitely like i actually used it as an opportunity to do a whole bunch of shit that i don't normally do and especially yeah. that i wasn't doing in winnipeg yeah you know? yeah no me so. too there was also a vibe like i was one of the i was one of the more further out people and i wouldn't super describe myself as being that far out right you know Right, but that was like where the spectrum was. Yeah, at. yeah. No, like, wh- what was that like? Who was that like Scandinavian sax player cat who was like like really out there? Do you remember this one too? Like, I remember. So, like, our group organized these like concerts where people were only playing oh. in duos and trios, and it was like everyone's just going to get up and play one song, either as a duo or trio, because like, or or as a solo, because a yeah, lot of people felt like. like a- they wanted an opportunity to play like their thing, but their thing wasn't necessarily like getting together with a quintet and busting out charts. It was like, yeah. right. So like we organized these like shorter concert series. And I remember this one guy was like, he played sax and he was like, I need 40 minutes. And everyone was like, well, you can't have 40 minutes. Like everyone needs to play. And he was like, well, I can't really like do what I do in less than 40 minutes Bruh, <laughs> like, i have like no recollection of this who was this guy I, as soon as i saw a picture of him i would know yeah but i'm just like i can't remember damn. his name either but like but he, that, like, that he, was he, the, that was the concert where uh do you remember him doing this thing where he blew like a clarinet into a snare drum with a cymbal on it and it was just like vaguely crazy it was just like yeah like sonic oh okay kind okay. of shit yes he was from denmark him and there was a drummer with yeah. him as well. Yeah. And the drummer was like playing with chopsticks and shit like that. Like yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. you know, like had all like had all kinds of like cool sounds and shit that he brought with him and like you know. Um No, but that was the concert where Kevin Son and I played. Uh we got up, we said, Yeah, we're we'd like to play a... Because, like every, everything was like people would be like, Oh yeah, we base this composition on like, you know, like constellations and shit you know or we yeah this on the like some like string theory or yeah 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 exactly and especially because miles okazaki was there and so much of his stuff was like so was based on all this like you know like he had one song based on like a chinese magic square so like every bar was a different time signature based on the chinese magic square and shit like he had like a lot of like really cool ideas so we mm-hmm. so there was so much of that and by this it was like by the end of the second week or like third week or something and like it had been that you know the whole time so kevin son and i got up and we were like yeah we're gonna play a song that's based on you know the uh the new york city transit system you know and then we started playing take the a train <laughs> duo <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was great that was great nice oh yeah there was always so much love in the room yeah for the most part like the uh like a lot of the faculty was like really cool and really approachable and like didn't even want it to be like teacher student they were like mm-hmm. we're the visiting artists You're, you know yeah um i still remember like louise perdomo being like because the second week when i was like hella depressed i wasn't trying to do anything extra i was just like doing what i was doing i was also getting ready to record my first record like a week after that so like i was like writing all kinds of music and shit like and arranging and getting shit ready for that and uh i still remember louise perdomo at the end of the second week being like it's like man you're like the only person i didn't play with you know <laughs> i'm like i'm sorry you know um but he was like just walking into people's rooms and like playing with them because he's just yeah. like we got like all these amazing musicians let's play you know like yeah it was know. great i like played duo with him and yeah. like i remember we like played a tune and like the shit like finished at like a way slower tempo than it started right and i was like i was like yeah i'm, I'm i think i'm dragging like i and he's like it's good that you know that <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Louise the shit. He's I mean, so cause nice, I, cause he's I so nice about it. He's like, yeah, yeah. he still found a, a very positive way to like yeah. let me know that yes, you fucking drag that motherfucker <laughs> into the dirt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had met Louise in Winnipeg because he taught at the the yeah uh, jazz camp one year, but then we uh, yeah, I got to know him at Banff and everything. He's always been super cool whenever I ran into him in New York. I played with his wife a fair bit. I mean, not that much, but here and there. Uh, Mimi Jones, an amazing bass player and singer. So, yeah. Uh, I didn't know they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Married. Yeah. That is the word <laughs> yeah. for a civil union. Yeah. Um, I did the Betty Carter Jazz Ahead program as well, twice. And that one was. Better or worse? I mean, just different. Different. But I'd probably say better. Um, I definitely like, so if I, if like the people that I met in Banff were like people I played with when I first moved to New York, people that I, you know, went to Betty Carter J the head with are people I play with now, you know, like my, uh, our group was like, it was kind of stacked actually. Like, um, so Arco Sandoval was playing piano. I play with her all the time. Barry Stevenson was playing bass. I play with him all the time. Andrew Renfro was playing guitar. He's on my new record. He's um, a beast. He's like... He sounds like nothing I've ever heard before. He is just very uniquely himself at all times, and it's the most beautiful thing. He's incredible. Yeah. No, Fro is the shit. So I have, we, we play together with Brax, with uh, Braxton Cook's band as well. So we put in a lot of, a lot of hours. We're actually going to be... So he's playing with... He's doing these few Canadian festivals with me. And then when we're in Winnipeg. Andrew or Braxton? Well, both. Brax is doing one show mm. in Winnipeg. And then um, Renfro's on all three. But So we've got a couple of days off in between. So me and Renfro and Luke Selig are going to do some trio recording and stuff. Nice. Hopefully have some uh, put out some EPs or something like that. Solid. Who else is on your record? Um, so, a bunch of people. So it's Dwayne Eubanks, Braxton Cook... Andrew Renfro, Jonathan Thomas, Luke Selleck. That's like the main band. All right. And then Corey Wallace plays on half of it. Um, Matt Whitaker plays organ on a few songs. Uh, then Brianna Thomas and Michael Mayo both sing on two songs each. And Mark Carey produced it and plays kind of throughout on different things. So doing different uh, synth and roads and things. It's quite the lineup. Yeah. I was at uh, with John Thomas. Yeah, that's my man. We play together. I mean, we play together. We have an organ trio together, and then yeah. he also plays in my band. So we uh, we were in. Uh, we did Herbie Hancock ensemble together. Oh yeah. And I think after one week, he was like, "All right, we need a new bass player." <laughs> <laughs> Damn. He like so nice. Yeah, yeah. So nice. Such a great player. But at times, I was like, "Man, I'm really." I'm really slowing down this ship. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been in yeah. scenarios where we felt that way. And, oh, and that was with George Cables. Oh, damn. He would like, man, George, between George and John Thomas, they were like so much nicer to me than they should have been probably. <laughs> <laughs> you should That's have gone funny. to jazz school in Canada where everyone's nice to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of whether they should be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, yeah. What other ensembles were you in? I know they got a whole bunch of different. Yeah, I did Herbie Hancock once. Um, did you ever do the Ornette ensemble? I did it twice. Twice. Yeah, my man, loved it. Yeah, Jane Ira Bloom is like such a force. Yeah, and I think and I liked it. I think she could tell that I liked it because she used to just call me to sub when her bass players were out of town. Okay. Because there's no music for it. So but you, you actually know the tunes yeah. just yeah that's what's up Ornette is like one of my earliest influences I mean yeah. I got into jazz like through you know I was into like rock and all kinds of things and then I got into Frank Zappa was like the I was like a huge Zappa fan in high school because I was weird and it was weird so that worked and then like it was sort of like a combination of my dad had um two cassette tapes one that was uh headhunters on one side and thrust on the other and then the other one was um 
uh, Return of Forever. So it's Where Have I Known You Before on one side and Romantic Warrior on the other. Mm-hmm. So like Return of Forever especially was like not far off from what I was already listening to. But then I like, but because I was already into like weird rock, like listening to like, you know, Super Late Train and Ornette and all this shit was not like a big jump. Right. It was like, oh, okay, this shit is weird too. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, it was really Arp Blakey Caravan was the record that like, that I was like, holy shit, how do I, yeah. how do I do this? Yeah. This is, you know, that just, was the one that really like snapped me into focus, you know? Yeah. I had a similar trajectory. I started with punk rock yeah. and like hardcore and this uh, Swedish band called Refused has yeah, a record called Shape of Punk to yeah. Come. Yeah. And then somehow from there I stumbled into the shape of jazz to come. That's amazing. And that's how that that's happened. Awesome. And then uh I didn't like it was it was too soon. Like I wasn't ready for it, but I was still down. And then I showed up to college being like yeah, this I think I know what this music is about. And then boy was I wrong. <laughs> um Man, I, I, uh, so I teach an ensemble at MSU, and, like, after we had done our, um, final concert, we had, like, a few more rehearsals, so we kind of just did random stuff. One day, I brought in, like, two of my tunes and got them to sight read, you know, and Mm -hmm. put it together and just be like, hey, by the way, like, there are people who are still alive (laughs) writing jazz music. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it might be hard, so here you go. yeah um because uh, these are like high school kids right so um but the uh but one of them is like yeah they had i had to run to like print something out or something so i was like all right play a tune while i'm gone i just want you all to play a tune or whatever so i get back and like the tune that they had picked was when will the blues leave my man didn't even like know it was an ornette tune he was just like uh yeah it's uh yeah it's this blues uh <laughs> you know <laughs> He was subbing. He wasn't one of the regular regular yeah. horn players in the ensemble. But it was great. It was like, okay, so what can y'all tell me about Ornette? And like, crickets. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I like went and like played. It's crazy. You know, it's- a bunch of tracks off of Shape of Jazz to come and Change of the Century for them and shit, you know, and just talked about like Ornette's whole approach. I got to see him live once, like 10 years ago in Montreal. It was amazing. I saw him here about that long ago. It was probably the same tour. Yeah. I think it was like around when Sound Grammar came out and he won the Pulitzer Prize. Mm. Um, I never saw him. Yeah. He was incredible. He was the same old Ornette. Like, no matter what else was going on in the band, if you just isolated him, it's like the same Ornette. Yeah. playing beautiful melodies. You know, all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When we did this ensemble at school, Jane Ira Bloom just basically sits down with her soprano and plays this the head, the melody, over and over again until everyone's playing it. It doesn't matter if it takes two two classes, two weeks. That's just like what happens. Wow, that's just how she does it. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. She's done it since like the program started. Basically, I don't know. Yeah, it's just that's how it's always been. Yeah, um, it's amazing. I did the Coltrane Ensemble twice also with Reggie. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like a total... It's like worth my New York experience. Like yeah. That, well, that alone. Yeah. Just being around Reggie Workman and soaking up his energy and everything. Yeah. I, uh, I haven't gotten to play with him or really do anything with him, but I've run into him in the city a whole bunch of times. And every time it's just like, hey, <laughs> big fan. He's the, man, <laughs> so, you know, he's like, the greatest. There was a while where I was like his uh, roadie or whatever you call it. You so like, I would like carry his shit around and set it up for him. And yeah, yeah. It's yeah, amazing. amazing. Yeah. No, like talking to, talking to Jonathan about new school as well. He said like, you know, Reggie Workman was like, that was like his, you know, main guy there as well. Yeah. Such yeah. a like like everything about him. Yeah. Just totally. like made my life better in all totally all the aspects. Yeah. The um yeah, Reggie Workman's the shit. Yeah, what was the newest one? 
the problem with jazz is that most of the musicians suck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or no, most of the musicians are boring. Or yeah, did he say suck yeah. or, bo- or whatever? Something like that. Right, yeah. Yeah. But I don't I disagree. the exact word. He said they're bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if we, if we, yeah. Yeah, I mean, most is probably true. I mean. The first time I had a lesson with, uh, I had a lesson with Aaron Goldberg when I was in New York once. And like, he basically just told me, he's like, well, the problem is like, you were taught jazz by people who shouldn't be teaching jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Rough. Yeah. He was harsh, man. It was the best lesson. I remember that. Because that we were. Remember how like fucked up it was the next day? Oh, I totally remember. (laughs) That was, that was a. 2011 right that was when yeah when we uh stayed at the chelsea hostel yeah yeah and he told me that my that 90 percent of what i was playing was bullshit yeah it i was remember the best that thing that ever happened to me then i <laughs> got a hilarious. lesson with him like a year or two later and like he said a very similar thing but yeah, yeah. like like was worlds different to me he said like yeah like half of what you're playing is bullshit and i was like Fuck yes. <laughs> yes, I'm fucking 40% like, better. Like in two years, in two years, like I'm fucking great. That's an incredible progress. Right. See, the, it's amazing because Joel is the son of a mathematician, so that makes it even better. It's like, yeah. I am officially 40% better. Yeah. The, the numbers don't lie, people. Yeah. But also, like, meanwhile, it's probably just like the mood he was in that day. Like, it's like he probably could have just as easily said 90%. Just like, doesn't matter. You're, you were fucking. 40% better. Yeah. <laughs> and but just to go back to this conversation, um yeah. the I still have like tremendous respect for like the Canadians who have like given me like some of the essential tools. Yeah. And there's absolutely. like so much yeah. like I don't want to totally like No, no. No, of course yeah. not. I mean, that's barbecue no. these people, but like No, no, no. That's not even the thing. I mean, yeah. we're talking about like a broader cultural phenomenon yeah. rather than a, you know, yeah. any It's more than how you person. sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, and ultimately like it doesn't fucking matter. Like <laughs> so much shit like I'm just so yeah, uninterested like, <laughs> in arguing about so much yeah. of this shit anymore. Another <laughs> if there's anything I've gotten from New York, it's just not giving a fuck yeah, about I'm like, like I'm bored of most you know, argu- like, most should, mu- our arguments about music at yeah, all. Yeah, it's like should, should we play standards or should we play in seven eight? I don't fucking care. Yeah. <laughs> like play play yeah. whatever the fuck you want to play. And like, also like, as if as if like another white man without gigs, at least it doesn't matter if he is angry at me. Like there's yeah, no yeah, consequence yeah. here. Yeah. Right. Two, <laughs> two, two white men without gigs being mad. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like great, drama cool. that doesn't exist. Yeah. Good. Read cool. a book. Turn this podcast off. <laughs> you know, like, you know, what's the musical argument that I'm really, I'm the, maybe the most bored of is the, like, like are people without musical training who make great music, versus like like being trained can you make the same kind of good music and it's just like people do you make good music like who gives a shit you know no musical training have made both bad and good music and the same is true of people with lots of musical training yeah right like are we done here yeah i know motherfuckers with doctorates playing bullshit and i know people who like don't even know what to tell you they played yeah you know like you know, I've heard, I've heard like stories of certain cats that like it took them like years to even figure out like what they were playing, but what they heard was just incredible. You know, like like notable cats who like just didn't even know what to call the shit they were playing, but they just were like making such amazing music that they had to figure it out later, like what they called it. I mean, there's a story about. I mean, did you ever read um, Back to Ornette? Did you ever read Harmelodic Life? Nope, the, haven't read it yet. It's a uh, Man, I wish I had it with me. I'd give it to you. The um, It's this uh, Ornette biography. And apparently in the 70s, Ornette went for like music lessons, just like general music lessons with Gunther Schuller. Yeah. And like he uh, and Gunther Schuller broke down some like basic shit to him. Like, you know, just basically how you know, what the, like, standard way of, like, doing certain things were. And apparently his face got wide, like, he had just seen a ghost, and he just left. Like, because he thought that he, like, he's like, oh, my God, I've been, like, fucking up this whole time. And Gunther Schuller was like, nah, like, bruh. <laughs> you know, basically, like, it's like, no, like, you're a fucking genius. Like, just hear the music how you hear the music. Like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
it's like whatever his whole you know like he's got a whole thing where he like thinks of like you know he was talking about the difference between playing alto and tenor and he was talking about like can't remember which one it was but it was i think it was that like tenor was like the tonic and like alto was like the dominant and he thinks of like you know what i mean which doesn't like yeah you know it's just it's just how it's just how he heard the music and how he conceptualized it that's amazing so like when you listen to that record or net on tenor it's not just like him playing the same shit but on a tenor saxophone it's like he's playing the tenor he's playing the tenor and he thinks of the tenor as being like an entirely different like that's a thing or net on tenor is is that jimmy and elvin uh, I get them mixed up. I totally can't remember. I think the ones with Jimmy and Alvin were that was uh, New York is now and Love Call, but I can't remember now. The good thing is we all have phones. Yeah, we can check. One of I'm us gonna be like, you know how a lot of podcasts have like the guy who's looking stuff up. Yeah, he, two people are talking. Like, I'll, I'll just be fact checking right now. Young Jamie. At yeah. the end, at the end, we'll be like, <laughs> the, we would like to issue the following <laughs> corrections. <laughs> Yeah. It's just called On Tenor. I don't know this album. Or Dead On Tenor, yeah. All right, there's a Wikipedia page here. I think, pretty sure that one's Jimmy, too. Yeah, it's Jimmy. And? And it's weird. Jimmy's the only one mentioned in the, like, like introductory paragraph. For the rest of the personnel, I have to scroll down. Damn. Personnel. Whoever wrote that got it right for once. Why? Why you gotta do Ed Blackwell like that? Yeah, right. I was gonna say. And I Don Cherry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was Jimmy Garrison on that record. Probably because I haven't listened to it in ten years. Church still, of Jimmy. Right. Jimmy Garrison, man. Guys, how annoying is it? I mean, it? shit. Like I, you know, I just fucking got resolution from a Love Supreme tattooed on my forearm, like a waveform. You can't see it on the podcast, but it's. Dope. I think they can. Yeah. But Pretty sure they can see it. So it's like so you could literally see. That's all you know. Yeah. All in there. Is that? I bounced oh, so it, Pro Tools myself. Right. It's so it's it's just one. It's just the one. It's part two. Yeah. yeah. It's resolution. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, is it hard as Canadian jazz musicians in America that everyone around you isn't aware of Canadian celebrity Don Cherry? <laughs> it's you know what's funny is that when I was giving that whole speech to my uh, to my kids about Ornette, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, his classic quartet that he came to New York with was was you know uh, Charlie Hayden, Billy Higgins, and Don Cherry. You know, Don Cherry, the trumpet player. And then I'm like, wait, no. And I didn't go any <laughs> further. Like, I don't have to say that. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, I don't need to say that. You've never heard of anyone named Don Cherry before. Man, I found shit. I found a good find on Shazam this morning. I went to, I stopped by a coffee shop in your neighborhood just for some some food, and they were just they were playing like some bad shit. I'm like, like just like just just straight up jazz station or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, damn, what the fuck is this? And like, it was like, it was like it sounds like Charlie Rouse. And sure enough, it was like Charlie Rouse. Right. It was like a Charlie Rouse solo record that I'd never heard of. Damn, you know, I've definitely like. I'm pretty sure I've. I don't think I've heard any Charlie Rouse outside of a Thelonious Monk context. Me, yeah, I, I, I think I'm in the same position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he's like the best. Like, he's like my favorite thing on Monk records, though. Like, yeah, even maybe more than Monk. Like, obviously the tunes are the whole, and the vibe of Monk is the whole reason for everything. But like. I was always like really here for the Charlie Rouse solos. Oh yeah. yeah. No, Charlie Charlie Rouse was like the perfect perfect tenor player. Like and and he had like all his amazing records with with Train and with Coleman Hawkins and with all these people but like mm-hmm. Charlie Rouse was just like the perfect cat. So the record was is called Taking Care of Business, which is funny. <laughs> we're from Winnipeg. We're all from Winnipeg. It's called Taking Care of Business. Uh every day. Uh, similar. I, I wonder if Randy Backman's gonna re-release this with some overdub solos. Oh my! F- oh, fuck. Yeah. Speaking of like, you know, because we were talking about Eagle Eye Cherry, like there's, a name, you, there's Eagle a name. Eye Cherry you don't have to believe. Is like is like uh, the tall Backman. <laughs> this like Randy Backman's son. He had that song. She's so high. 
It's like that. Like like That's Tall Backman? That's Tall Backman. That's that's uh Randy Backman's son. Oh I see. That's some Canadiana trivia I didn't yeah. even know. And so Hot um, you don't have to bleep me saying I fucking hate Randy Backman. No, no. yeah, I, me neither. <laughs> hey, um, hey Randy. You know, Randy, if you're listening <laughs> I got a problem. <laughs> When's your record coming out? June 14th. Solid. What's the date today? The, like, 14th? Like, a month? From Literally one now. month yeah, from today. Cool. I might, and maybe I'll wait a few weeks to post this. Okay, sure. I don't know. Maybe I'll Generate get, some controversy. <laughs> get some. <laughs> please bleep that. out anyone's name I've talked shit about. Yeah, I will. That. Uh, get some. Except Brandy Backman. We've been going for a while. Yeah, you got a lot of shit to edit. You want to wrap this up? Yeah. Um, um, so uh, follow us on social media and buy my album. Is that and buy his album? Yeah, all the things. Do you want to talk about JV's Boogaloo Squad for a minute? Is that a monthly or a weekly? Uh, we don't have like a regular gig. We're no. just like at the Rex always, a lot. like like yeah. con- somewhat consistently. I think the next time we're there is like June. It's a Thursday in June, June twenty fifth. But more importantly, we have an album, and it's 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 good if you like that sort of thing. Um, where can where can people find it? Uh, it's on all the things: Spotify, uh, you know, Apple Music, Google. All the it's it's on all of it. You can buy order it on Bandcamp. I'll put Davies Boogaloo Squad going to market. Solid the name of the album. I'll put up links to everything in the descriptions. If you like like seventies soul jazz shit, like Lou Donaldson records and like. Lonnie Smith and it's it's me trying to do that nice yeah this was up it's just like just by coincidence it's come up on the last two that I've done do you guys have a Mount Rushmore of your instruments how many how many presidents are on Mount Rushmore four four are they all presidents yeah I think they are all presidents or no is Ben Franklin on Mount Rushmore no yeah Ben Franklin Theodore Roosevelt Ben Franklin is up there? Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Wow. I mean, I believe, like, none of us are American, but, like, I believe you guys are more American than me. Wow. You take that back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, like, it's become, like, a lot more of an organ thing for me in the last little while. I guess I could probably do one for each. Like, my Mount Rushmore of organ would be, like, Jimmy Smith... Lonnie Smith, probably um, uh, oh man, I'm so bad at names. Like whenever Jack this, McDuff whenever or this happens, no, not not Jack McDuff. Oh, he's great. I would probably do Charles Erland. Oh yeah, and then like probably should have someone more current than any of those people. So I would probably go with like Sam Yahel. Okay. Because he's great, and there's some records of his. I don't really like play his style, but I think he's incredible. Yeah. I don't know right. much about him, but I do know that I have friends that have studied with him, and they just say it's like totally life altering. I had one. I, less, I had one lesson with him that like turned a lot of shit around for me because I just like go to New York every so often and try to get a lesson with someone, and it was really awesome. It was similar to that Aaron Goldberg thing where he was like, he was like, you're doing like he was talking about like left hand we mainly just talked about playing left hand bass and he was like well like the thing is your bass lines are sad (laughs) and like and he's like so like you can't it doesn't really matter what you do (laughs) like like, as long as that's what's happening and so from there i ended up like actually lifting like paul chambers and like lifting walking lines and like it blew my mind what was going on down there yeah yeah my bass lines are sad i should go talk to sam (laughs) um I played one gig with Samuel Hell once. It was really fun. Nice. It's my friend's graduation recital from New. Uh, hold on. Iran Sabo. Oh, I wouldn't guitarist. have guessed that. Yeah, this was like organ trio with him. It was really incredible. It was oh, like yeah. the end of my. Fr- it was the last day before I went home for the summer after my first year of school. It was like, it was pretty incredible. Um, for me, we'll do piano in a minute. For me, I feel no real, um, I feel no uh, obligation to include anyone new. 
So for me, it would be like well, Elvin is like my that's my you know hero. So Elvin, uh, Tony, and then Max because he effectively like invented what we do and huh for a fourth one for those who aren't so inside oh sorry tony williams and uh max roach and elvin Elvin Jones. jones and i'd probably put i mean the last one could be any number of different people but for me it would be philly joe so philly joe jones that's like the you know but from but if we're looking from a historical standpoint philly joe didn't advance the instrument in the same way that the other three did um he just played the baddest shit yeah you know um but and it's amazing it's beautiful but uh you know i mean if we wanted to go back further i'd probably put like papa joe jones up there but you know it's tough it's It's super tough four is is hard four is five is quite a bit easier than four um any yeah the higher number like (laughs) i remember like someone someone on facebook had a post the other day that was like i made a list of like essential piano players for my students and she had like 25 people on it and she was like did i miss anyone and i looked and i was able to name like 10 people that i thought like were glaring omissions like which is obviously like 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 I was saying stuff like it's like Andrew Hill should really be on there, you know? Like, yeah, right, whatever. right. But like, if I had to do four for piano, like, thing for me too is there's like kind of people outside of the jazz. I won't even get to them. Yeah, no. Like I mean, I'd really I, love yeah, to I'd talk do. about like Donny Hathaway's playing or like yeah, yeah, Aretha Franklin's piano playing or like whatever. But it's like I'd probably it, for me it would probably be Bud Powell, Wynton Kelly, Herbie Hancock. And also, this isn't just like as of now, this is just a jazz podcast because those are the only guests. But the plan is to like, right? So, if you want to reach for other, that just right. makes it harder, though. So, yeah, because then I'm like, do I add Paige McConnell of Fish? No, you most certainly do not. <laughs> I accept. <laughs> um, okay, I need my fourth guy, though. So, uh, it's gonna be. Bud Powell, Wynton Kelly, Herbie Hancock, and McCoy Tyner. Okay. Wynton Kelly is an interesting choice. It, to, to me, Wynton Kelly is the same as Philly Joe in that respect that, like, if we're, it depends on whether we're talking about just, like, the baddest shit or someone who really, like, yeah, advanced like, the language. Like, it's not, I guess, like, I just name him because, like, I feel like so much of how I play. Of course. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's why, that, and so that's why, like, I got to have Philly Joe. Because like, Philly Joe is like the, you know, sort of the basis of a lot of what I do, you know. Yeah, less that like he was a turning point in the music and the instrument. Yeah, yeah. Like it, if that was the case, then like Bill Evans or someone would be like a, someone who like actually like changed the way the yeah, instrument for was sure. played or, or whatever. Or even know. like, um, like, like even Cedar Walton would make more sense. Yeah. You know. I mean, the, the, I think, um. I mean, with piano, it's even harder because there was, like, so much history prior, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, you like, know, it's, it's like... I'm just, like, I'm not even getting into, like... No, you can't have, like, you Errol know... Earl Garner, like, James P. Johnson, Earl Hines, like... Fats Waller, and yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know. like, there's so much of that. Like, but I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm treating the question as, like... For about, you. About yeah, yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it's for me, then I'm perfectly happy with my choices. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh... Because Philly Joe is like my starting point for for young drummers. It's always like, listen, if you can like learn how to play like Philly Joe, then everything you play will sound like jazz. Like for kids who are trying to get into jazz, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, the it way, will always work. How f- is that how? F- aside from like special circumstances, is that generally how far back you go, or like with your students? As in, like, versus going back further, yeah. or versus, yeah. I mean, I no, I go back further for sure, but like, I usually start there because that's the most practical place to start, right? 
you know, if you can if you can do that, then it's gonna work. If you're playing earlier or later styles of music, it's still gonna work. Mm-hmm. You it's know, funny, the the comparison to Wynton Kelly is so is so apt. Like yeah. it's like it's like if you want if you want to sound like jazz, you should just learn Wynton Kelly solos. Yeah, right. Like if you it's want, like, like if you want to learn how to swing, like learn how to phrase your eighth notes like Wynton Kelly. That's and the, it's like if you know. if I had a student who like loved kind of blue. And like was gonna learn one solo off of kind of blue. I'd you would like, pick the one yeah. Wynton Kelly solo, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, what about you, Mike? Uh, well, last time I decided it was uh, Reggie Workman, Jimmy Garrison, Charlie Hayden, and Scott LaFaro. Okay. Uh, and then after I said that I didn't know where to put in Michelle and Diggio Cello because she's like such a huge influence on me like every time I pick up the electric bass I feel like I'm just trying to sound like her in in a certain way well yeah like and the the guys like uh, people who are like outside of the jazz idiom are like also so important it's like how like who would you be without John Bonham well yeah of course I mean that was like you know no there's like yeah that's why ultimately it's all yeah. Whatever. And then, like, also, probably George DeVivier. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that pick. Yeah. The stuff, just and like... Pals, for me, it's, like, hard to... Yeah, it's all it's all yeah, individual. It's all whatever. Like for me, I if know. I had to... You know, if I was doing it for bass, it's like... Okay, we've got Paul Chambers and Ron Carter, and then we've got... <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, who else comes after that? You know? Yeah. Like, but those two... That's why I appreciate your list even more, because it's, like... Those two are like, obviously the like, arguably the two greatest to ever do it. But like, yeah, yeah. that's not what I sound like. You yeah, know? right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, but specifically, George DeVivier on those recordings where he's playing bass while Ron Carter's playing cello are just like. Oh yeah. What records are those? So Eric Dolphy out out there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Eric yeah. Dolphy out there. Ron Carter's first record, I believe it's called Where. Oh yeah, I haven't and checked that one out. Another I, I think there's one more. Like ninety nine percent of the George Duvivier I've listened to is on the like Amazing Bud Powell record. Amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like same with like that's like that would also be like ninety eight percent of the Art Taylor I've listened to. Oh, and then like also further back, like Chester Zardis has had a huge influence on my playing. Who's Chester Zardis? He was like. Orleans dude oh cool so like preservation hall and oh killing yeah uh, yeah yeah that's uh, the thing like that's the thing with piano too is there's like the New Orleans piano thing is like a whole other lineage that's yeah, like yeah. important like, yeah like, like checking out even just a little bit of Professor Long here like totally changed the game. like really like my first gigs in this city were uh the Grossman's Tavern afternoon gigs with the happy 